0: There's a a sort of management philosophy that I've really come to lead into over my time here at Workspace, which is uh, context over control. And something that I've seen in a lot of great CEOs and a lot of founders that are emerging into great CEOs is a fundamental recognition that you can't do it all yourself. And hiring high caliber teammates to take things off your plate is the way the business is going to scale and grow.
1: And welcome to My Company Story. I'm your host, Don Burge. My Company Story is a podcast where I get to interview some of the most interesting business owners and CEOs about the challenges that they've faced and how they've overcome them. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm here today with Vivek Karte. Vivek is the CEO of Workspace. Uh, Vivek, welcome to uh, My Company Story.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Don. I'm excited to be here.
1: Great. Well, let me explain first, Vic, what you uh what your company does, and then you can fill in the blanks because I'm sure there I'll get it to, there'll be a lot more to fill in after I describe. It. But for the audience, it's a it's a workspace that's a workspace go They build portfolio management software for investors, owners, and operators of commercial real estate. Their goal is to make the lives of commercial real estate professionals easier and to help them operate with confidence and simplicity. So did I get that more or less right, Vivek?
0: Yeah, that was that was a, a great synopsis. <laughs> I'd, okay. I'd love if we could all be as clear as that. Um, really yeah, we're we're we serve the commercial real estate industry. It's a massive one. Um and our mission is really there are a lot of things that make day-to-day commercial real estate operations difficult whether that's a property manager, building engineer, owner and we're trying to build uh a, you know the best in class platform for all those different folks that work in this massive space to work more easily, more efficiently, communicate with each other um, and really get back to the reason they entered real estate, which was to work on buildings and occupancy and people problems, not spreadsheets and sending documents around over email.
1: So so wrap it up for me if you can. If I am a real estate uh, agent, do I use your software or a property manager? Do I use your software? Or tell me more about who is actually going in and using it day to day.
0: Yeah, great question. So I really think about real estate and there's fundraising and leasing and agency we really focus on the folks that are stewards of the asset over their life and so that could really be a property manager who's responsible for day-to-day budgets managing tenants it could be a asset manager who has several assets that they're responsible for on behalf of an owner or it could be an owner who wants to see the 25 properties i own all over the us how are they doing oh i see um,
1: so you uh, you put a platform together that that allows the owner to see what's going on with his property or to or to talk to the person who's managing it and the manager to say, I've done this, I've done that, or we need to put a new roof on, let's do this, th- those types of things. Is that right?
0: Yeah, it's the communication and, and as well as allowing each of those people to interact with the property as is relevant for them. So for a okay. property manager, exactly. It might be, wow, there's a hole in the roof. We've got to fix it. I've got a budget to manage for the rest of the year, and I need to bring an engineer in to come fix it. And I want to have a record of their work order. I want to see what they've done. I want to track it. I need to give them access to our A-class office building in Los Angeles, all that sort of stuff that comes after this very simple decision. Yes, we need to fix the roof. Now for the owner, they're saying, well, hmm, interesting. Of my seven properties in LA, how many needed to fix roofs in the last year? Mm. How much did that cost on average? How much is that going to make my budget change over the course of the next two years? And so it's the same piece of information, it just matters in different ways to the different people.
1: So before you came along, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, your company is a couple of years old, but before that, uh, what mm-hmm. were people doing? I mean, how did, how did they manage this data and this, all this information before uh, your software was built?
0: Yeah, so th- there's a bunch of software in the space that solves the needs for any one of those users to some degree. The problem is that data, we just talked about a roof, it sits and dies and all the information dies with that person at that level. So the problem and the challenge, how people do that work right now, is that owner might reach out on some frequency, maybe weekly, maybe monthly, to all of the PNs and all the service providers that work on their buildings. They might say, guys, please send me this report every Tuesday for the rest of time. And now that doesn't happen. If it does happen, they've got dozens of these reports that come in, some in email, some in some shared inbox, some in PDF, some in Excel, and then they've got to tie that all together. Three, four, five weeks later, now they've got information about what happened in January 2021. So there's a ton of latency. There's a ton of manual time. And when we think about um, what challenges people in this industry, it's that there's so much time spent getting data out, managing email inboxes, reaching out to people to say, hey, you missed it last April. I don't really know how much you spent on the flooring. All of that can be done and systematized in one place so that everyone can get the information they need when they need it.
1: That sounds fantastic. And you said, or you alluded to the fact that there are competitors in this space, but they're not as complete as you guys are, or tell us a little bit about what that landscape looks like.
0: Yeah. So the competitors in the space, you know, real estate or prop tech or CRE tech, as it's called, it it started in these foundational building blocks. So the thing in the seventies and eighties and nineties was ERP systems. People need to do accounting somewhere and QuickBooks wasn't really relevant for uh, commercial real estate. So that was sort of the foundation of technology in the industry. And from there, a lot of different solutions have come up to solve a particular user in that ecosystem's problem. So for example, VTS is amazing leasing software. So if you're managing the revenue of a building, which is how occupied are we, they're they're the best software for that. But that is one piece of the picture for an owner, an asset manager, even a property manager. It's great that that's happening on the leasing side, but there are other ways we earn revenue parking, there are other expenses to the building. Those aren't all captured everywhere. So there's a lot of these very important solutions that solve one particular person in the ecosystem's need. But there's a lot of common information that could be utilized that just sits and dies in that system. And that's what we're trying to solve.
1: I see. That's fascinating. And and you you were brought in uh, as an outside CEO to Workspace, weren't you? Tell us a little bit about your personal journey or how you ended up in the seat you're in right now.
0: Yeah, uh, sure. Um happy to. So you know, for a lot of the folks that are out there, as as Don mentions, I uh, I came in as a CEO. So I'm not the founder of Workspace. Um, Alan, who is our founder, and I had a, had a super close relationship, and he brought me in really as a part of professionalizing the business beyond what he really wanted to do anymore. Alan was an engineer by training. He loved the building phase, super talented with early sales and product development. But the business got to around 18 or 19 employees, and he sort of started to realize, wow, there are so many things that are involved in taking this business to the next stage. Customer success, yes, product development and engineering management and a professionalized sales motion. And I think he just said, I'm not one super comfortable with that. It's not my background. And two, it's not what gives me joy. I want to tinker with and build early stage products. And that is where he's tremendous. So the second thing for him is that, well, he wanted to bring in someone that could be a financial partner, as well as bring in some of this operational expertise but he wasn't interested in just building a high burn, low profit, venture-style business. So over a lot of time, he thought about this and he decided to partner with Alpine Investors, who's an investor in software um, in San Francisco. I happen to work at Alpine. Um, so we met through that sort of relationship. I got to know him, and the business, and we decided that there was a partnership going forward. Alpine backed the business and I came in as a number two to Alan for some time to learn the business, transition from him, understand what worked, what didn't meet the team. And over the course of about six or seven months, we executed the plan. We had always hoped that he was able to step away. He's still an advisor to the business and, and gets to watch his baby grow. But he no longer has to do the parts of the job that that really didn't give him any joy.
1: Wow, that's a great journey. So really, he's the founder. He started the thing and he's he grew it, realized he was getting into an area that he wasn't very comfortable with, didn't want to be in. Got Alpine invested. You were working there. You came on, learned under him, and now you've taken over, and he stepped back. That that's the. And over what period of time did all of that uh, take place? When was the first introduction to you, and how long has it been?
0: Yeah, so I I met Alan in July, uh, I think July of 2019. Okay. Which. Wow. Yeah. In some ways, I can't believe it's that long. And in some ways, I can't believe I've only known that force space for that long. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I met, I met Alan uh, sort of as a, as a potential investor in the business. And we loved the business. We loved what he had built. We thought the space was super exciting for all the reasons we said. We saw the opportunity. Um, we learned the pain that commercial real estate owners and operators were having managing these buildings. And we said, yeah, we, we want to be a part of this thing. And we want to give Alan, a talented founder, a way to see his legacy grow. You know, beyond the phase where he wanted to be involved in the day to day.
1: That's great, Vic. Now, tell me, what is your goal and objective for Workspace? I mean, now that you're sitting in the uh, in the driver's seat, where are you going to take this uh, vehicle, and and how how long will it get there, and what what are the what's coming down the road? Do you see?
0: Yeah, so it's it's a great it's a great question, and I got to say the first <laughs> the first year here, you know, we we under we had a vision, we knew what we wanted to do for the industry, but a lot of the first year was just you know, figuring out and making sure we were all comfortable on the people and team and company side. So we, we spent a lot of time making sure people could get coached up on the skills they needed for the next phase of workspace, bringing in some, some leaders, some junior employees to fill out the areas we didn't have. And we wanted to make sure that we see the vision, we're ambitious about getting there. We want to build a product that, you know, for everyone, but the largest players in the space, they can use workspace and get a lot of value. Um, but we wanted to make sure that we had the chops to follow through on it. So a lot of the time was spent up front getting a team ready. Um, we feel like we've got that team now. I'm super excited about who we've got on up and down the, uh, the ranks of the team. And so now it's really about smart execution on the next pieces of product that the market needs. So COVID has actually been a pretty interesting time for us. The industry has sort of taken a step back. Occupancy is down. People are panicked. they have never seen anything like it. But at the same time, it's accelerated the need to adopt technology that might have taken 10, 15, 20 years in the past. So for example, in the past, people were cutting checks to pay each other rent for B2B businesses. They were paying their vendors with physical checks. Now no one's in the office. Now no one's there to stamp the, the check. You've got hundreds of thousands of dollars of vendor payments sitting in someone's mailbox, and who knows when they're coming back? Maybe they're in New York City. So there are all these little things that the industry looked at and said, whoa, technology is much more than a disruptor. It's the way we're going to compete and exist going forward, and that, that's that been an exciting thing to see.
1: I see, because I was going to ask you about that challenge of COVID has certainly disrupted probably the commercial real estate uh along with the restaurants probably more than anything else uh, and and uh i see where it, it it was disrupted but what you're telling me is that you were at the right place at the right time to offer a online software solution to players that were in that industry and it accelerated the trend that was moving that direction anyway it accelerated it your software just was there at the right place at the right time and and i take it business has been good for you then the last uh, uh 10 12 months
0: yeah i um I, w- I won't lie to you. Well, the way I think about it is it, it, it could be it could have been better. We were applying for better. Uh, it could have been a lot worse. So we're, yeah. we're lucky. Um, what, what I'll say is, has it has it been a tough year for us? Absolutely. I think the commercial real estate industry for the six, seven, eight months after COVID hit just froze. I mean, people yeah. were scared. They didn't know what to do. And you know that definitely impacted our our new business. But what we're seeing as we sort of have a light at the end of the tunnel people realize real estate is gonna have a place in the world. Yes, maybe it looks different. Maybe the malls are now doing much more than just malls. There's a lot more hybrid use space. Things look different. People come to the office less often, but real estate as a fundamental class of investing and a valuable thing in society continues to exist. So with that sort of realization, picking our heads up in 2021, the industry has said, okay, but now we realize that technology can help us be more efficient. There are places for us to mitigate risks that we faced in COVID. If everyone doesn't have to sit in an office building in New York, what does that mean about how we manage those assets? And technology is certainly a part of that. I'd say Change or acceleration of the industry.
1: I see. So, what? Let me see if I get this right. What you're saying is that, of course, at the uh, last year, uh, uh, April, May, June, uh, everyone was just on a on hold <laughs> panic mode. What's going to happen? Everyone, no one's in the office anymore. No one's people aren't paying rent. Are they going to pay rent? So it was, it was kind of a big wait and see going on. And your place in the industry it must have been very hard to get new customers. No one really wanted to make any moves because they didn't totally. know what was going to happen in the future. But then after a while, they said, all right, this is the reality. we got to deal with it. And then you, they realized you're the right answer for where they wanted to go going forward.
0: Yeah, for those, and, and I, you know, I won't sugarcoat it. The entire industry is not there yet. But for right. those that are, are looking and they're saying, what does competition look like in the future? And I think this is, much, this is a much broader question than just real estate. And the firms that have realized, if we can move with faster cycle times, we can be more agile. We can say yes to more. We can be more efficient. That's sort of how they'll compete in the future, and the competition for a lot of these real estate firms, it's much more at a much more microscopic level than it's ever been. So, mm-hmm. for example, in the past, you know, I'm oversimplifying, of course, but in the '80s and '90s, it was you see a metro area that's on the rise or on the boom, you invest, and the rising tide lifted all boats. That sort of stuff just doesn't exist anymore. You can't look at Dallas and say that's an attractive market in totality. It requires a level of precision that this industry has never seen and appreciation of what data combined with know-how can lead one to. And I think the industry totally understands that that's where it's going.
1: Interesting. Interesting. So, Vivek, tell, tell us a little bit, because our the audience listening to this show primarily are, they're not in the real estate market. They're running companies, uh, medium-sized companies, much the same size as yours. So, t- tell us a little bit, if you can, about some of the challenges that you have faced as the CEO of the company, uh, leading a team through this and leading uh, you know, with customers who were in a very uncertain, very rocky market out there and a team that you were building up uh, and you just took over from the founder of that. I mean, what was your role like and what were some of those challenges that you found back then?
0: Yeah, I'll sort of separate it into to two groups. One, as you mentioned, and I think rightfully our first, the first place we focused uh, when everything hit in March was customers. So the last thing that I wanted to be was an expense on the bottom line that someone, some CFO was going to target one day because of the COVID situation. So we got out ahead of that as much as we could. And we said, what what is going to make continuing to work with workspace work for you? Is that a longer term at a discount? Is that waiving a a month of payments? What what do we need to do to keep working together? And the response we got was overwhelmingly positive in that um folks were like we see the value in workspace for the long term things are tough for a couple months but let's revisit in july let's revisit in september and so we just stayed really close and didn't shy away from that really awkward and difficult conversation um, you know we had a couple churns that's happened we signed a couple deals but we tried to say we want to lead the market in being as straightforward and understand and acknowledge the problems that our customers are having head on and, and we did, and it was it was super uncomfortable in the beginning, but um, that really helped us uh, show up as a company that wanted to solve the problem with our customers instead of say, hey, we're going to just be quiet, keep charging you and hope it goes away.
1: Right. So you we didn't, you didn't try to change. fly under the radar and just say, you know, like, I hope they don't watch our bottom, our, our line item on their expense. Let's just hope they don't see it. You were out there yeah. calling them out, calling the CFO and saying, hey, look, we know you're on there. And yeah, what can we I, do with you guys? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I've
0: I've never enjoyed being in the shadows and sort of extracting value in that way from yeah. any partner. It just feels like there's a ticking time clock on that, on that sort of relationship. And it just, you know, et- we'll call it ethically, business strategy, whatever reason. Yeah. When everyone was going through this stuff, that's just not what I wanted to be.
1: No, it's not, um, it's not good for the long run, and and you've proved that. So now, how about your employees? I mean, you, they must have been, as all employees were very nervous that during that time, am I going to have a job? Especially in this space, it's it's a rough market right now. How did you deal with uh, with your staff?
0: Yeah, so it, it was actually interesting. We we you know I took over the business from Alan, the founder. We had hired up our leadership team, but since March. Um, so I mentioned we have around 22 folks on the team. I'd say I think half, yeah, I think a half of our team is what we call COVID era, meaning they were hired post-March. They've never met anyone else on the team physically and in person, which is still kind of bizarre to me and, and to some of them. And they they helped us. We, we all built a new culture in that fit the COVID environment. So for us, we were really honest with our employees. And we said, we're going to keep you up to date on all the things about our business, our revenue, our cost lines, who's churning. And there might be implications of that. And we're going to come to you and all we can do is be honest. But if we lose half of our big customers, it's going to be really tough for all of us to stay employed here. And like that's not what we want to happen. But we acknowledge it again up front and said, no one knows what the future is look like. uh, it's going to look like. I'm not going to guess and be wrong. I'm going to tell you there's a widespread and we've got to just roll through it together. And so the team responded to that very well. We use this as an opportunity to say, if we're not out there closing new deals, but we're retaining business, which we managed to, we stayed flat in the most of the year. Um, what skills can we pick up and what can we develop so that in 2021, we're ready to go? And that's sort of how we motivated and wired the team. Yeah, that's um, great. That's yeah, great- and, that, and, that, and that kept us going. And, and, and the other thing is for the leadership team, a lot of us were new. Um, we took it as a chance to examine what our capabilities as a team were and what we needed to acquire. And we right. brought on some new hires that would dress those. And, and there were some people that um, the new sort of culture wasn't for them. And and they chose to lead the team.
1: Sure. Like, like always, but you've got a good solid team right now. It sounds like, and, and good customer yeah, relationships right now. So that, that, that's fantastic. What a great deal. And the investors, I imagine that was the other audience that you have to manage their expectations and, and tie and be communicating with them. I mean, I imagine they have the same line of communication going on upstream as well as downstream.
0: Yeah, so for our investors, and you know, it worked out well with the timing. Uh, I think there's a lesson here. Um, You know, if you're a founder and you're you're considering some sort of exit or maybe taking some money off the table, um, greed can only get you in trouble. So you know, you could always wait and try and ride out a wave, but you know, everyone investors have a lot less concentrated risk than an individual or a founder. And so, Alan, it was good that Alan decided to make the move when he did. Yeah, you know, Alpine as an investor, they're diversified and they're big. And so some of their verticals are invested in healthcare were booming. And something like commercial real estate were a little stuck. So as an, a long term investor, they were looking at 2025. Mm-hmm. So what does what we think is going to be a difficult 12 to 18 months mean for 2025? Does that mean that we think commercial real estate will need this kind of software? No, it didn't. Do we believe that it changes the way users will in- interact with our product? No, it didn't. It means that Well, you know, the growth that we thought we were going to see is going to get pushed out a little bit and we've got to manage that. We've got to be smart about how much we spend, but they were, they were really understood the long-term market that we were going after and a temporary interruption because of COVID for 12 months, 24 months, didn't change the attractiveness of what we were going after.
1: Yeah. That's wonderful. Good advice to everyone to hear that. Um, You know, at the, on the show notes, we're going to put out ways to get a hold of you, but are there any final uh, words that you might want to pass along to other CEOs or people running companies your size uh, that you'd like that you've learned that you'd like to uh, pass along as a as a last word.
0: Yes, I I do. So I um, there's a, a sort of management philosophy that I've really come to lead into over my time here at Workspace, which is uh, context over control, and something that I I've seen in a lot of great CEOs and a lot of founders that are emerging into great CEOs is a fundamental recognition that you can't do it all yourself. And hiring high caliber teammates to take things off your plate is the way the business is going to scale and grow. And I, it's not natural for a lot of us. We're perfectionists. We like to do it all. We know what's going on with product and with sales and with engineering. And that is just, I think, a less exciting way to manage a team and live life, to feel like you need to control it all. So our entire internal culture and tide changed when we brought in people who were willing to take things off of the founder's plate, off of my plate and run with them. And we gave them as much runway as they asked for. And I got to say, that has changed the level of enjoyment on our team and the amount that I can get done by many multiples, many times over.
1: That's a great way to leave it. And that's so true. I've heard that from so many successful founders. They're practicing what you just explained right there. and. Um, I commend you for for going that direction. That's great. In fact, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us, and we look forward to following your success. Thank you, Don. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to My Company Story. We have new episodes coming out every week, so please subscribe if you like this. And if you'd like to hear previous episodes, you can go to mycompanystory.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you or someone you know would be interested in coming on the show, please email me at at donatburge.com. Dot .com Thanks for listening.